Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Did you ever play baseball, Samantha? No. Never. I No, I haven't. I, I had a small interest in playing for girls softball for like uh-huh. two seconds. And then I realized you have to run. Oh. And that is not something I'm good at. Mm-hmm. Did you play? Yes. Uh, funnily enough, I... Uh, my my friends used to tease me and they would say, use the dark side of the force, Annie. And I would pretend it was like the dark side and I would hit it. Um, but then, like, unfortunately in middle school, I think a lot of girls and women go through this of, I just lost a lot of confidence in my body and became really self-conscious and told right. myself I wasn't really good at things. Uh, so I stopped playing and it led to one of my most uh, embarrassing memories where I had, um, my family was around and I was in my garage with them and I was throwing a baseball and I had a bat and they're like, be careful now. And I said, oh, I'm terrible at baseball. I couldn't hit it if I tried and I threw it up, hit it (laughs) and it broke the garage window. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that was fun to explain to my dad who was not there at the time. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to prove I couldn't hit it, Dad. I, I don't know what happened. And apparently, I can. <laughs> apparently, I can. I do really enjoy it. I like the satisfaction of that thwop of hitting. And uh, I have a bat at my apartment. And I know I've told the story of when I accidentally ordered 72 cookies. And then... It was raining outside, and I oh, used yes. my baseball bat to destroy the cookies yes. because I was in the most stereotypical breakup, post-breakup area. <laughs> I thought that's a great thing to beat up on cookies. It was very satisfying. Same time, honest. I'm sad that you wasted it because I, I, I would eat them. I feel like that's the response I get from almost all my friends is, why did you not give me those cookies? <laughs> I don't really necessarily want them, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, that, but they're delicious. They were, they were. They were warm from Tiff's Treats. Uh, Tiff's, always. Not a sponsor, but uh, I am a fan. But if you want to <laughs> give me some cookies. Yes, we are looking for a sponsor <laughs> all the time, cookies. I just want cookies. That's all. <laughs> That's true. The very first episode I did on Sminty, I talked about how much I love cookies and how I want cookies all the time. Yes. Yes. Well, we're not talking about cookies today, unfortunately. We are talking about baseball and women in baseball, though. And that's because baseball is back, kind of. Um, It sort of immediately got shut down here in the United States. But I see it in other countries. You are proceeding with your cardboard fans, and in some cases, real fans. Right. In some cases, sex dolls, which we talked about in a past episode. I was going to say, the U.S. has been using dolls, too. Like, weird... Have they? Well, they also use that like CGI where they put in all the CGI. Oh, I haven't seen audience. that one. I've just seen the random like giant dolls. Not like oh. sex dolls this time. It's just large teddy bears type of thing. Oh, geez. See, I'm just immediately unsettled at that thought. Right. <laughs> I think the, when, in one of the games, I remember I saw a clip where they hit into the stadium. It was a home run, I think, or a foul ball, and it hit one of the toys. And they're like, why? What did that toy do to you? <laughs> I'm telling you, he's going to come back and get his revenge. <laughs> I have been watching a lot of horror movies lately. Yes. 
Um, well, and and a lot, there's been a lot of sports things in the news lately. And one that I did want to mention is, uh, I love how everyone is making fun of that basketball player uh, for breaking the NBA bubble. To He first went to a funeral, but then he said he ate at a strip club. And I was like, no, I know immediately what strip club this is. He was going for the wings at Magic City. It's a thing. I've been trying to do it for years. I'm not condoning his actions, but just saying those wings are well known. Everyone's like, why would you eat at a strip club? Gross. I'm like, right. oh, wait. Well, wait. we had uh, former President Obama, Clinton, and Bush here in Georgia for John Lewis's eulogy on his funeral. And there was a tweet. Someone asked, where would you tell them to go? What restaurant, classic, would you tell them to go? And a majority of the people said Magic City. <laughs> Magic City. <laughs> they, they have delivery now, Annie. I know, but as you know, my dilemma, actually, maybe someone can answer this for me. Any Atlanta person or someone who's been to Magic City, how many wings are in an order? Yeah. Because it's very expensive. And if I'm not, I'm not going to pay that amount if I'm getting like four wings. Right. I need, I need some more wings than that. You need all the wings. <laughs> you know, and also talking about sports in the um, WNBA in Atlanta right now, we do mm-hmm. have our ladies. Um, donning the uh, vote for Reverend Warnock, who is running against Loeffler, Kelly Loeffler, Senator. It is encouraging to see that, too, as we're they're having to push forward and, by the way, getting very minimal pay in comparison to the NBA yeah. players. Um, they are standing up for some political things and uh, going after <sighs> opposition. <laughs> Happy side. <laughs> uh, yeah, and in doing this episode, this show has been around for a long time. So I usually, I make sure that we haven't already done it and I've forgotten it. Um, and I was shocked that uh, we haven't already done this. We did do a video on it, but um, not an audio episode. And, and I was looking for basketball as well and I didn't see one. So I would love to return to, to that, revisit that and look at women in basketball, um, which is another sport that I loved. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, as part of this, I must admit, I have never seen a league of their own. Which, uh, yes, shame on me. Maybe next feminist movie Friday. Um, right. I I I was told this yesterday while we were mm-hmm. recording a different episode, and um, yeah, I'm I am so sad and disappointed that you've never <laughs> seen this movie. I'm actually very surprised. Other movies, not so much. But this one, I was like, but that's, this is just, I feel like this would be right up your alley of uh, relationships and friendships. And it's not like all about romance. It's just good fun, historical mm-hmm. uh, aspects of it, as well as just women being a badass. But we must remedy this soon. Yes, I want to see it. I have a friend who used to go dressed as someone from a league of their own every Halloween. And uh, Samantha, when I told her this yesterday, she said she needed a moment to process. I did. <laughs> I did. Like, I, I, am, I am now over that point, but I'm still definitely, my heart, like, sinks a little bit every time you mm. say it. Well, okay. I'll, I'll see what streaming service I can find it on, and we'll, we'll fix this. I feel like it was on Amazon for a while. I probably. I know... I was trying to fix a lot of the, I guess, 90s feminist movies I missed. And I watched Thelma and Louise. I know that was on mm-hmm. on Amazon. But we'll look into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speaking of, apparently Amazon is developing a new series about A League of Their Own. Right. Uh, I know there were talks on Twitter 
about possibly something based around the scene with the uh, black woman who actually pitches to Gina Davis's character. And it's just like mm-hmm. a minute, very small scene, but it's a very big deal because of the segregation um, yeah. and the discrimination of black women in general and uh, being a part of that sport. But yeah, they were talking about that there may be a series based on that and looking at the historical uh, accounts of that perspective. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, some of that in this episode. Um, also, we could do a whole episode and probably should, probably will one day on softball. We're right. going to talk about some of it in here because a lot of its history is so intertwined with baseball's history. Um, but definitely deserving of its own episode. A very quick differentiation. In softball, the ball is bigger. Not soft, though. I saw that joke a lot of places. (laughs) Um, The pads are shorter. Only underhand pitching, fast pitching, slow pitching, um, and no stealing allowed. And that's a very, like, nutshell. Right. Um, Yeah. But it still looks painful down. if you get hit by oh, one of those balls because they pitch, the underhanded pitches are like a whole windup. Oh. Like, oh God, I'm going to die. <laughs> I know. I lived in fear of that. <laughs> For sure. Uh. So we're going to talk about the history. Uh, just a quick disclaimer here. There has been uh, and continues to be a lot of sexism, racism, ableism, in the history of baseball and in the present of baseball. Um, and also, we are going to be talking about first, some women who did had some first, but standard disclaimer around first that we always say uh, who who got recorded, who was doing the recording, how did they get there, those kinds of things. So, baseball history. Women have been involved in baseball from pretty much the jump. The Brooklyn Daily Eagle reported in 1859 on a game between two local teams that it was, quote, witnessed by a large number of people, the greater part of whom were ladies. The first professional team, all male, took the field in 1869. And in 1865, Philadelphia Age article, the author chronicled a handful of feminist movements taking place and wrote about, quote, faint whisperings of a ladies' baseball club. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, the first organized baseball teams in the U.S. were formed in 1866 at Vassar College, and several other universities followed suit over the next few years. Uh, such was the outcry from parents, the public, and the press that most of these programs shut down soon after. Yes, but women were still playing, and at the professional level, too. In 1875, two women's baseball teams named the Blondes and the Brunettes in Springfield, Illinois, played a professional game. Because of this, they became the first women that we know of to be paid for playing baseball. The Dolly Vardens, one of the first baseball teams made up of African-American women, was formed in Pennsylvania in 1883. Now, many of these teams weren't permanent or leagues, and they were seen as something like novelty acts. They were even specifically referred to in a lot of advertisements as novelty acts, and were certainly not taken as seriously as the men's teams. Whenever these teams tried to be taken more seriously, they were shut out and shut down. But women were determined to play. And in the 1890s, we see the first of the bloomer girls, named after their bloomer-style uniforms. They played uh, women's and men's teams across the country. And up until the 1930s, bloomer girls were fairly common. 
The uniform weighed between 8 to 10 pounds, or by some accounts, way heavier, uh, complete with high-buttoned boots. Sassy. I know. Also, perhaps tricky to run in. Right. (laughs) Uh, Sliding into home base was called hitting the dirt in the skirt. I just want to say that phrase just for the hell of it now. Um, (laughs) According to Sport Legend, the first softball game was played on a windy day in Chicago in 1887. Story goes that alumni from Yale and Harvard were anxiously waiting for the results of the football game between the two schools. When it came out that Yale had won, one of the Yale alumni threw a boxing glove at one of the Harvard alumni who batted it away with a stick. A reporter by the name of John Hancock witnessed this and got the idea for indoor baseball. Using chalk, he drew out the bases and used string to tie together a glove to fashion a ball. They split up into two teams and played the first American game of softball. So that's how the story goes. And Hancock later moved the sport outside onto fields too small for baseball. So that's the beginning of softball. Mm-hmm. Uh, gotta love a good Harvard-Yale fight, right? Yeah, no? sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe. So according to Team USA Softball, softball is a top team participant sport in the U.S. with 40 million people playing every summer. Which was news to me. And uh, there's a lot of legend around this this first game, and, and it seems to have taken place around the same time in different countries around the world, which makes sense. Um, but yeah, future episode. Perhaps get to the bottom of that. In 1891, Lizzie Arlington began pitching professionally for the women's team in Cincinnati. And later in 1898, she was the first woman to play for professional men's team, the Reading Coal Heavers. I just wanted to say the name. Against the Allentown Peanuts. Oh. Um, (laughs) the, The Philadelphia Times called her, quote, the greatest living female baseball player that same year. Around the same time, her teammate Maude Nelson was making a name for herself, playing for a handful of professional women's teams. She and her husband John B. Olson Jr. became managers of the Western Bloomer Girls in 1911, making her the first woman to manage a professional baseball team. Up until the Great Depression made running a baseball team impossible, she continued managing, playing, and scouting. And by a lot of accounts I read, this was the heyday of baseball in the United States, which allowed for a lot of unscrupulous characters to take advantage of aspiring baseball players. One of the most notorious was a man who went by Sylvester F. Wilson. He had a lot of names. Um, He proclaimed to be a baseball manager, but uh, he left a lot to be desired, to say the least. One newspaper called him, quote, the abductor of girls on baseball pretext, and he was arrested in New York for kidnapping a 16-year-old girl from her home. In 1891, Kansas City Star article wrote of him, quote, he has been arrested more than 100 times and for various crimes, and Secretary Jenkins of the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children says he has ruined more young girls than any man living. Because of this, the American Blondes versus the British Brunettes got shut down. Not only did he do countless damage to numerous young women, he really, really tarnished women's baseball, the reputation of women's baseball, um, because he focused on physical attractiveness and sexuality of the players and not skill at the sport. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting, because stuff like that happens today and it doesn't seem to shut down sports. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. Interesting. We have some more for you listeners, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. (music) 
And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. A 1926 photo from the Phyllis Wheatley Settlement House in Minneapolis depicts 10 African-American women in baseball attire, including Ethel Ray Nance, who was the daughter of the president of the Duluth chapter of the NAACP. She went on to become one of the first African-American policewomen in Minnesota. She did a lot of stuff. She was everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, we should definitely revisit uh, doing maybe a female first on her. Yeah. Yeah, she... She was all over doing all sorts of powerful stuff. Um, Moving on to the 1940s and 50s, the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, or the AAGPBL, which I'm assuming is what a league of their own is about, Mm -hmm. uh, made its debut with the financial backing of Philip K. Wrigley of the Wrigley Chewing Gum Fortune, apparently at the suggestion of FDR. This was possible largely because of how women entered a lot of traditionally masculine fields during this time, during World War II. Several of the high-quality male players went off to fight in the war. And Wrigley was also looking to double his profits by having women's team play when the men's teams were traveling. Uh, The rules were retooled for women, bringing in pieces of baseball and softball. Uh, the only organized ball game women played at the time, softball, and several semi-professional women's softball teams littered the country at this time. Uh, The team came together for the 1943 season, and women tried out from all over the country. 60 women were chosen and split up among four teams, the Kenosha Comets, Racine Bells, the South Bend Blue Sox, and the Rockford Peaches. And the league was immediately successful. That first season, they played a combined total of 108 games. The average attendance was 1,635, and total attendance over the season was 176,612. This was in spite of playing in cities without league teams and or small ballparks that they played in. Racine went on to win, becoming the first world champions of the AAGPBL. The players were, at first, specifically, uh, popularized as the girls next door, which was very important to Wrigley, and marketed towards soldiers missing home. They did these displays of patriotism at every game, like flashing the flashing the V for victory sign, and they visited veterans and hospitals, things like that. Yes, this is all on League of Their Own. Oh, wow. <laughs> Not necessarily the, the patriotism to that point, but yes, a lot of this is... Uh, League of their own. Anyway, <laughs> um, their outfits were designed to reflect this, uh, quote, all-American girl persona, a mixture of tennis dresses and figure skating uniforms of the time. And yes, they are impressive. And, of course, they face sexism in the press. The Minneapolis Tribune wrote of the Minneapolis Millerets in 1944, quote, Quick, Millie, my mask and mascara, for there's a powder puff plot underway at 3 p.m. Saturday at Nicolette Park, which threatens the foundation of the national pastime, a conspiracy aimed at virtual extinction of the perspiring, swearing, tobacco-chewing baseball players. Wow. I love how anytime women enter a traditional masculine field, it's like we're trying to (laughs) make the men (laughs) extinct. We're trying to kill off men, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to ruin the national pastime. It's a conspiracy. They figured it out. It's just, we're just trying to take away, you know, manhood. Why not? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let that, us play baseball. Come on. <laughs> Come on now. Uh, but despite the sexism, the women persevered. Uh, and due to their success, the league expanded, adding on two teams in 1944 and two more again in 1946. 
after attendance reached 450,000 people in 1945. And they played all the time. Their schedules were really intense. The pay was decent, um, certainly a lot more than most women were making at the time. And fans chipped in additional pay. Um, As men returned from war, the women were still respected and seen as real deal athletes. Some of the rules changed to reflect the ones in place for men's baseball games, like overhand pitching, longer infield distances. Up until 1945, uh, the players were required to attend charm school where they were schooled on how to look and act for cameras, uh, never leaving the house without makeup or a purse, how to cut and wear their hair, how to sit, how to walk. Um, They weren't allowed to smoke or drink or date without a chaperone, publicly anyway. Um, Professional cheerleaders have similar rules in place to this day. We did an episode on that a while back if you want to listen to that one. Uh, The guidebook was called A Guide for All American Girls, How to Look Better, Feel Better, Be More Popular. Um, in 1948, attendance reached not to charm school. Charm school got shut down. Uh, but the games in 1948, the attendance reached 900,000. There was a four-team minor league and a junior league for girls, and there were tours promoting and recruiting for women in baseball across the country in Cuba and South America, too. Mm-hmm. And similar to the men's teams, only white women were allowed to play. And this was even after Jackie Robinson started his stint in 1947. Three black women were recruited to boost attendance for the black men's team, Tony Stone, Mamie Johnson, and Connie Morgan. Stone was the first black woman to attain the highest level of player status when she played second base in 1953. I did hear that. Despite the fact that their performance did draw in bigger crowds, these women, surprise, weren't treated well by their teammates and managers and were paid less. And the black men's team was disbanded in 1958. Yeah, and I've read some quotes from them, and I I think it was uh, Tony Stone described it, quote, like hell. Mm -hmm. That's how badly they were treated. Um, In 1952, Eleanor Engel signed a contract with a minor league team. The head of the minor leagues, though, really didn't like this. And he stepped in and said, quote, such travesties will not be tolerated. Nullified the contract two days later. Travesties, again. Travesty. Mm-hmm. Drama, drama, drama. Oh, my goodness. We just want to play baseball. So sensitive. Why are men uh, so sensitive? I don't know. I don't know. The advent of television meant that people no longer had to attend a game in person. And attendance for the AAGPBL dropped off. And they shut down in 1954 due to financial struggles. And women and girls pretty much disappeared completely from baseball with it. During its run, the AAGPBL gave 600 women a chance that had previously not been available to them, and it radically transformed not only what people thought women could do, but also what people thought was acceptable behavior for women. And just a note, this also coincided with the cult of domesticity, the housewife, women staying in the home. This was all happening at the same time. Oh, yeah. The 1950s nuclear family. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And so in 1972, in Hoboken, New Jersey, 12-year-old Maria Pepe tried out for her local Little League team and made the cut, accepted by teammates and coaches. However, Little League headquarters stepped in and demanded she be removed or that the chapter would be disbanded. With the help of the National Organization of Women, Pepe sued for gender discrimination, and she won in 1974. Unfortunately for Pepe, she had 
aged out by this time, but she made it possible for other girls to play. So thank you. Yes, thank you. And it's it's shocking how much this happens in this story, but we still see it of local chapters being like, yeah, come play. And right. then like headquarters saying, no. We will not allow it. No. <laughs> also in the 70s, Title IX requiring equal opportunity for men and women in sports and education, among other things, but primarily those things, uh, was passed, and, and it pushed more women towards softball, which was called the female baseball equivalent. And this is a uniquely American problem due to the expense of college and reliance uh, for so many on scholarships. I also read some interviews with baseball, female baseball players today, and they were, they were, they pointed out that I hadn't really thought about this, but there's no other sport really where there's a female equivalent. Mm-hmm. Like, that's different. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it's baseball played by women and men. No, it's baseball is for men, softball is for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, a decade later, <laughs> interest in women's baseball sparked again on a more mainstream level. Bob Hope attempted to form an all-women's minor league team in 1984 called the Florida Sun Sox, but the Florida State League officials put a stop to it again. Um, He wasn't the only one trying to get these going. People tried to get women's teams up and running, uh, like the American Women's Baseball Association in Chicago, which was the first league after the AAGPBL, Um, but none had much success. Hope tried again in 1994, supported by the Coors Brewing Company. (laughs) The team was named the Colorado Silver Bullets and traveled across the U.S. playing minor league teams and men's college teams. Oh, I remember that. I, that was a shock to me. Yeah, I remember that now, like, because it was soon after a league of their own, so people were starting to kind of buy back into it and be like, this is possible, let's see if we can do this again. Huh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow, interesting. All right. Well, we do have some more history for you and some present day stuff. What? But... I know, but first we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, despite all this history, there are fewer opportunities for women to play baseball nowadays than there were a century ago. But that is changing. Uh, So A League of Their Own came out in 1992, which was the first time hearing about a lot of this for a lot of people, including myself. Also, this is one of those movies I watched during the 2016 election trying to stay sane and positive. Just, uh, Mm -hmm. I just want to put that there. (laughs) Man, I am really excited to watch it now. Um, And I did want to say, like, like you just alluded to, Samantha, this really did bring women's baseball kind of back in the popular uh, narrative. And I read a lot of moving accounts um, from women and girls who saw this movie and how powerful it was for them to see that. And uh, there was one in particular where she was saying, like, the credits had ended, the lights had come on, and a handful of us were just sitting there with tears. Because mm-hmm. um, they played baseball... But they were told time and time again, it's not for it's not for women. You, what are you doing here? Essentially, 
Yeah, so it really did have, that movie had a big impact for a lot of people. Um, in 1994, Isla Border became the first woman to receive a college scholarship for baseball at what is now Vanguard, at the time was Southern California College. She played there as a left-handed pitcher for two years before moving on to Whittier College in 1997. That same year, she signed with the St. Paul Saints, making her the first woman to sign a professional contract with a men's team. In interviews, she spoke of growing up constantly being pushed towards softball and being told baseball was for boys. Hmm. How do I keep hearing stuff like that? I know. So in 2004, USA Baseball formed the very first U.S. women's national team. And again, that's 2004. So not like maybe 16 years ago at most. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the players for the Colorado Silver Bullets, Tamara Holmes, played on the national team until 2015. When she retired, she was the home run leader of the women's baseball. Major League Baseball and USA Baseball are actively sponsoring women's tournaments like the Trailblazers Series, Breakthrough Series, to name a few. And they're they're looking to recruit uh, female players of note uh, also. There are reenactment baseball teams who play in like the bloomer. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, are they reenacting specific games where they try to? <laughs> Probably. How, how, does that, how, does that, how, how does that work? Sweet. I know. I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, yeah, I don't know how, if any, if any listener is involved in baseball at, at a professional level or um, has any knowledge of, of how well these programs, our tournaments are going, because I know I read a lot of kind of higher-up complaints that the talent isn't there, and I was like, hmm. What? I know. Mm. I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, Both softball and baseball were dropped from the 2012 Summer Olympics after women's softball had been selected as an Olympic sport in 1996. But they will be back in 2021. I mean, fingers crossed, maybe. (laughs) Maybe. So in 2014, Monet Davis threw out the pitches at the Little League World Series, and she won an ESPY for Best Breakout Artist. Go ahead, girl. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember that. That Yeah, me too. It was a big deal. There is still a lot of work to do. Uh, Many women describe being continuously undercut and doubted, being corrected that they play softball. You mean softball, Um, not baseball. Also, there's nothing wrong with softball. Again, those (laughs) athletes, when I see them play, I'm like, that seems worse. (laughs) That ball is so much bigger. That's going to be painful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I know I got hit in the face. Oh, no. With, uh, I think it was a baseball. I don't think it was a softball, but it, it hurt. Right. It hurt. Oh, I, I remember, like, the immediate swelling. Yeah. yeah obviously. <laughs> um, also, would love to hear from other listeners what it's like in, in the countries that you're in. Um, the history and attitudes around baseball and women in baseball. And I guess in closing, I was thinking about this. Uh, why do you think people were so resistant to women playing baseball? I think in general, anything that women do is always going to have some judgment and second glances because there's an automatic assumption mm-hmm. that they're not going to be as good, period. Right. I, yeah, I feel like that maybe there was some... Because in the history of a lot of sports and um, just athleticism, there's that sort of 
Benign sexism is also almost too nice. But yeah. it's like an extreme form of benign sexism where it's like, oh, honey, you don't want a ball flying at you, maybe right. hurt your baby-making machine. Right. Um, <laughs> and you don't have the coordination. Also, it takes time to develop skills yeah. and all that. And you should put those times in your family, no? Right. Right. Yeah, I was just curious. And again, I haven't looked into the history of other sports, so I don't know if it, the same level of resistance is there. I know resistance was there. Right. Um, but I, I just feel like with most other sports, except for football, there is like a women's team and there has been for a while. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. This is odd to me that... It is weird. Baseball was so like, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> no girls allowed here. Um, according to Jenny Ring... Uh, She wrote, too much competition was regarded as unhealthy for girls, and travel was also believed to be too strenuous and unsuitable for the health and morality of the young women. So Mm -hmm. uh, that might be part of it, definitely, (laughs) as well. Right. Our fragile constitution can't handle this much traveling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my constitution is so fragile. I know you know it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> again, 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 we would love to hear from listeners with any experience about what we're talking about. Or, you know, we love hearing from all listeners. So if you would like to email us, you can. Our email is stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I'll Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thanks. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs>